1: Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. So today we have a special episode with an individual that is beyond bold, right? I mean, that, that, that's his key phrase. That's his key terminology. But historically, those that uh, the you that were around in, in the early, let's say, the 90s, you probably heard his company corporation a million times. So if you're familiar with one 800 Fred is the founder of that corporation. So, you know, I like to name whoever I'm interviewing with a particular nickname. So the nickname today is going to be the... Can anyone guess, maybe? The super bold boss. Fred, the floor is yours. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about you and what we're talking about today.
0: SA, thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, so my main career was uh, creating with my partner and uh, 1-800-DENTIST, which became the largest dentist referral service in the country. Ran it for about 25 years. Sold it, uh, it as it as Google kind of disintermediated the model Uh, as well as uh, television streaming because we did millions and hundreds of millions of dollars of television advertising uh, and eventually stopped working, but we had a a good run with the model. Uh, And so my next chapter in my life was how can I have the greatest impact on people based on something that I learned that I think is that I'm passionate about. And that is the, superpower of boldness, Uh, the difference it can make in your life, the difference it made in my life. And it was something I had to teach myself. I didn't, I was not a bold person. I was an incredibly shy person and missed tons of opportunities along the way and had tons of regrets. And I just said, I got to find a way to stop this. And so gradually I changed it. Uh, And then I figured out I got to find a simpler way to teach people this so it doesn't take them three decades or four decades to figure it out. Um, and so that's what my latest book is about, Super Bold, From Underconfident to Charismatic in 90 Days. A bold promise, but if you do the, the things in the book, you will find yourself on a highly accelerated path to chasing your dreams and, and bringing your full self to the world and not missing great opportunities.
1: I, I think that's a, that's a hell of an opening and it, and it kind of just goes to like who you are and obviously the book is out there and, and you know, I listened to probably like a couple of the chapters and right away, it, it's one of those books that in the first chapter, you're delivering so much value. I think one of the key takeaways that you said was boldness can be learned, right? It's not something that, you're not born bold, it's something that you become, right? So I want you to kind of like talk about that. How has that helped you to get to where you are currently?
0: Well, you know, to run a business, you have to be bold enough to go out and get your customers. I I mean, we beat the streets for six months to find the first 18 dentists to participate because nobody was doing that kind of thing. We had to invent every aspect of the business. It takes boldness just to start a business, Mm -hmm. to just say – i I think I can do this. takes a little naivete too. <laughs> takes a little bit of like, oh, I think I can pull this off. Because if you knew how hard it was going to be, you probably wouldn't do it. Um, but once you get committed to it, then you kind of have to make it work. Uh, and so, and it and it helped me with you know with relationships. I was not meeting the the partners that I wanted to be with, and. And eventually I developed the boldness by emulating other people and I started to, to meet great women who were who just were a, a match for me. And mm-hmm. and that was that was a big difference uh, right there. And I and I didn't miss out on fun. I I I said I started saying, why not? instead of why would I do that? I I, I loved being sarcastic and negative in my early life. I, I could put down anything, uh, which accomplished nothing um but eventually i said yeah maybe i'll try that maybe i'll be interested maybe i'll try sushi maybe i'll try bungee jumping maybe i'll you know uh go to berlin for a week by myself to see what the heck's going on you know and 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 just do stuff like that and uh you know and even even things like eating dinner alone you know, I don't, some people like they're terrified of that idea. Oh, people are thinking about me. Oh, oh, look at, look at that poor guy sitting there eating alone. What a bunch of bullshit. Right. But this is the the tapes we play in our head about this stuff. And so conquering all that just allowed my life to just keep opening up and all sorts of unexpected things came my way because of it. And I, I just learned to trust the the process of just being bold and saying something interesting will happen.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I think it's definitely interesting. I mean, another one, one of the quotes from, from your book was um, you're not shy, you feel shy. And I think by default, most people think that like, like, again, it goes back into the DNA. They were born that way. They're not an A type personality, but you're saying is more so it's a psychological feeling. It's an emotion. So I want you to kind of talk about that and unpack that for, for us a little bit.
0: Yeah, what, what we have, it, it's so important to understand to not label yourself, I'm an introvert, I'm shy, you don't have to, those, those are behavioral things, they are not genetic things, okay, mm-hmm. you may feel a little bit more outgoing, a little less outgoing, but most of it is socialization, mm-hmm. and you either didn't get reinforced for your boldness, or you did. Or somebody said, don't be a show off, don't draw attention to yourself, you know, uh, and and speak when you're spoken to even stuff like that. And you got repressed. Uh, You you were told that you weren't worthy to present your your full self. Um, And, you know, I was talking about how basically you take any four year old, they can sing and dance. By the time they're 12, they can't sing and dance. What happened? You know, mindset. That's all that that's all that happened. Uh, but what what I try to do is is get people to, to realize that they have what I call situational boldness because they're 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 not shy with their family. They're not shy, probably with their co-workers, maybe a little bit. Uh, they're behaving in a shy way and underconfident in certain situations and confident in others. And everybody's different. But the the big problem is most of us are underconfident when it matters the most. Hmm. When we've got to do something important, we gotta we we gotta ask for a raise. We gotta start a business. We gotta raise ask for money for that business. Uh, we gotta we gotta ask a customer for the order. Uh, we gotta give a eulogy, hmm. uh, or or just a presentation to our department. Oh, I don't like to speak in front of people. Well, guess what? you're not good at speaking in front of people that will impair your career for the rest of your life. You, you got to be good on your feet. And and if you are good on your feet and get better and better on your feet, that's a rocket to the moon. Uh, because it's, it's an incredibly powerful life skill and you can, you can build up that skill. You can build boldness like a muscle. <sighs> by doing I think, it gradually you know so
1: i think one of the things that, that you said was a good segue for this next question you talk about having like the mindset of a four-year-old so i think on one of your your, your talks you were talking about you were walking into the elevator and it was this little girl and she pushed the button and as little kids like to they like to push the button as well so she was like, okay what floor you're going to she pushes the button and you're going to the floor above her and then she was like oh wow you're, you're right on the floor above us we should come visit so i want you to kind of finish the second half of the story because i mean the way you delivered it it's, it's not only funny but it's bold in itself and then you started talking about the value proposition of what you're doing versus what you're asking for.
0: Yes. And so that it was so innocent. This was a girl in in the elevator in my building And, and when I asked, I said, you can push my floor. What one four? Okay. Oh, oh, you're you're only one floor above us. We can come up and visit. And I just thought, when did we lose that? When did that change? And it's because the 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 power of it. If I can call it a power, is that she had no agenda. She wasn't trying to get anything from me. She wasn't trying to sell me, you know uh, a new car or or get me as a client or get me as a subscriber or or find out if I wanted to sell my condo, you know. Uh, she was just saying,, well, we could come up and play. Huh. Uh, and And I said, oh, you you know, yeah, you could meet my cat. Oh, what's your cast name? cookie oh that's funny you know and it was like that and I and the big message for me along with that innocence and la and and uh, you know she was so beguiling just by being that way was that that the lack of agenda and and we and if you're if when you're meeting somebody new if your only agenda is connection, it's a huge – and that's not really an agenda. It's a, trying to be a human being. Uh-huh. And so I, I talk to people everywhere. I love talking to people in elevators because there's like this weird unwritten rule in America that you're not supposed to talk in the elevator. So to me, it's this golden opportunity <laughs> to just say anything. Just, But I love complimenting people. Just look at them and say – what's something I could compliment about them? I don't know where you got that suit, but man, it looks great on you. You know, that hand, you know, women, women accessorize, they've spent a lot of money accessorizing. Uh So say those shoes are working for you, you know, or that handbag looks great or those earrings are look uh, are so unique. They're so interesting. Um, People love that. And it, and you and you do. I, I call it a drive by compliment. You're just you you have no expectation of anything else except making them feel good about themselves.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So, I mean, I, let, let's just let's dive down that rabbit hole a little bit deeper, because in another one of your talks, you made a statement saying that value is perception. And you was talking about the gold um, eye watch. Right. So in the elevator, you're talking about delivering value by saying, hey, "Hey, that's great. That's that's something wonderful on that person." You're giving them a compliment, and by doing that, then you're you're essentially earning their trust and you're building that relationship. So, on the other side, with the value being perception, how does that work or differ? They like different from giving someone a compliment. Uh,
0: uh, we all have our biases right we all have the filters that we see the world through and these are all learned things Uh and we're mostly unaware of them so we have so what you're dealing with are people's judgments Uh and and we all do it i i I walk around and i do it I, i i i judge people by their height by what they're wearing their hairstyle and I'm wrong about 98% of the time. And so I force myself to get to know them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and so the, the key thing to remember is people are doing that about you too. They, are, they have a judgment about you based on virtually no information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like a, a, a Polaroid of you, right? It's like, oh, this snapshot moment. Uh, you know, I use the example of like people who say, I met this movie star and he was a real jerk. And I said, you don't know if he's a, you met him for 10 seconds and you decided he was a jerk because he didn't want to sign your uh, a napkin with an autograph. He could have had a paparazzo trying to take a picture of his kids 10 minutes earlier. Right. Yeah. You don't. And and so when you understand that people are, are judging you inaccurately and you're judging them inaccurately as well, stop worrying about what everybody thinks, oh. right? Realize that, that their perceptions can easily be influenced by the simplest of behaviors like me offering a compliment. What, what I do, which, you know, because I know I have these judgments is if I see somebody that I have a judgment about is like, what, what, the, what the heck is that woman wearing purple, that purple spotted dress for? It looks ridiculous. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, that dress looks amazing on you. Huh. And you know what happens? My judgment goes away. And she, because she's like, she wore it on purpose. She's not wearing it to look ridiculous. So, uh, you know, I, I, I got to erase my judgment and actually make her feel good about herself and and so i I'm, I'm shifting her perception of of herself a little bit i'm uplifting her i am the voice of upliftment to her and she's seeing me as wow that that, that person is generous with his compliments huh. and is expecting nothing of me huh. cuz that's that's the big barrier that's the agenda thing everybody has this you, we build this barrier because so many people are coming at us for something yeah that that we we have to have this wall up you know uh imagine being an attractive woman it's like you you have to have barriers up to not indicate i'm completely approachable at all times <laughs> um i can't even imagine what that's like um, but i i would like to find out Actually, (laughs) I would like to have attractive women just coming up to me and saying, I'd really (laughs) like to meet you. But uh, but it's but so. So when when you are, are there to just gently shift their perception to something more positive about themselves and about you. That strengthens you, because you say, regardless of how all the defenses that I have and people have. I can i can rise above it i can i can actually penetrate it hmm.
1: Hmm. I, I think i think the last statement that you made it kind of reminds me of your podcast episode with jay smith the um Bully disturbed yourself episode and he was talking about and i'm not saying that you were lying to her but he was saying like you know he had to lie at certain times to essentially help build the confidence of the people that he was coaching to get them to believe what he was saying to them. So do you think that that like that's a, a, a decent approach, even though that it may be a lie, but it's, it's a lie for a positive reason?
0: Yeah, and it's like calling it a lie is is uh, is strong. Uh, it's like it's like shift is shifting the the definition of it necessarily. Mm-hmm. The, the characterization of it is is more what you're doing. Uh, if, 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 if I, you know, if I see a friend that, that I know has been overweight for a, a long time mm-hmm. and, and I know they, they just started something to work on it and they maybe shed 10 pounds of the hundred they need to lose. I'm going to say, man, are you, uh, you're, you're looking thinner. Is, is, are you, how much weight are you peeling off here? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, part of my brain, I, I'm, I'm lying. They look the same right they don't look that different but i know they're working at it so i want to i want to encourage that success i cuz they don't know they they weigh themselves and they go i, I think i'm losing weight does it make any difference mm. cuz i want them on the path i want them i want to encourage them to succeed in that path there's nothing in it for me for that guy to lose weight hmm.
1: yeah but so- there's a lot
0: in it for him
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that leads me to, I mean, on on your website, right, you have a boldness exercise and it's a three step exercise. And it it kind of seems like like you're obviously you're living this, you're breathing this, but you're also helping people with that path. And I think the first step of it is to just randomly smile at five strangers, like people that you don't completely know. Step two, is then you want to talk to one of these strangers. And then step three is you want to ask a question. So I want to like, how did you come up with that formula and how has that formula benefited the people that, that you're helping coach?
0: So there, there's five steps to building your boldness muscle, uh, and and the, the first step is 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 preparation, uh, is preparing what you're going to say or do. Uh, but 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 the 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 fourth step is dosage, controlling the intensity of the experience. Okay, so it's it's the pride method. So it's preparation, relaxing, insights, dosage in everyday action okay yeah. so there's everyday action is part of it is always part of it but building your muscle anything you want to get good at work out every day even for five or ten minutes because yeah. it, it aggregates right and, and if you think you're going to get to it when you feel like if you worked out when you felt like working out you'd probably work out let's say probably two times a year roughly right uh maybe maybe less <laughs> but if you say, I- I'm going to do something, I'm going to move every day, uh-huh. the body gets stronger. Uh-huh. So when I, everybody's at a different level building their boldness muscle. Uh-huh. So start really simply. And you when you start by smiling at five strangers every day, there's two parts of it. One, a surprising number of people will smile back. And two, a certain number of people won't. And you learn to not take it on. It's got nothing to do with you. You're, you're training yourself to not experience rejection, to not define something as rejection. Huh. Its just It's just what happened. You know you have no idea. this could be the worst day of their life. Uh, you, you don't know. So, and oh they could have bad teeth <laughs> they don't smile at anybody, but whatever it is, you dismiss it. So you're building up this tolerance for a non-response or what you might've characterized as a negative response, but you don't have to stop smiling at people because they didn't smile back. I say hi to people all the time who don't say hi back. It's like, even in my own building, like, they just they just don't say hi they're, they're so closed in that that saying hi out loud to a stranger is more than they got and i understand it i don't judge them about it i, I say like that's i don't ever want to be trapped like that i want to give them a book like it's like here you know so you need people you need to you need to be social this is, we're social animals don't kid yourself right and unfortunately we've created a world where you can isolate the heck out of yourself you can stay in your house and watch TV, and have food delivered, and and play video games, and go on social media, and and pretend you're having social interactions, but in reality, you are not being social. You are not feeding this basic human need of human interaction.
1: Wow, wow, it's very powerful. So, obviously, I did my due diligence, right? And so, I was looking at like your education, and this kind of like wants me to lead into this because I mean when I look at your education from a marketing standpoint, I know that you are a copywriter, right? Yeah. I mean, you write copy through and through. So I want to talk about copy to where it has gotten you. Cause I mean, obviously with the one 800 as as a brand, obviously I think you were behind the copy for majority of the things that went out to the market, hence why it was pretty successful. So let's talk about that journey. Like, how did you get into copy? Like, why did you get into copy? And how did that help you become as fruitful as you are today?
0: Yeah. So in, I, I, Oh, I had a sense that I always wanted to be a writer. I didn't have, I didn't have a way to do it, but by the time I was finishing college, that was, I, I was, I was focusing on creative writing hmm. and and I sucked at it. Right. It's like nothing I wrote was was much of anything. I wrote a couple of decent short stories, but I tried to write a novel and it was it was horrible. And the teacher let me know. I mean, he had notes on every page. He was like slashing through pages and stuff. But it was great because I I, I said, I have to get better. I I am not a great writer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I, then I got out and I got, did some sales jobs and I worked a bunch of businesses while I was in college. And while I was on a break in between two colleges and, uh, and I learned a lot about how businesses, different businesses work just by working in them at a low level. Mm -hmm. And I, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I got to Los Angeles and a friend of mine was a storyboard artist. And he took me into the ad agency where he was working. And he was good friends with the general manager and just walking into the place. I said, Oh, these are my people. Hmm. This is my tribe. I could do this for a living because I had no idea what I could do for a long-term. And then, and so I said, how do I be, how do I get a job here? And the, the, this is, you know, sometimes a person gives you one piece of advice that changes the trajectory of your whole life. That was what the general manager did. He said, look, I'm not going to give you a job just because you're David's friend, because you don't know how to write advertising. I can already tell because you haven't done it. So there was a night school being taught by creative directors, working creative directors. And in six months, they taught me how to write advertising, because I had a sense of how to write. I just didn't know how to shape stuff mm-hmm. that was persuasive that, you know, advertising is communication with a purpose to sell, to persuade. And I learned how to do it. And then I started working in the agency and I just loved it, but I just didn't like the career arc, which is at 50, it falls off a cliff and you can't get a job. You go from making 300 grand a year till you, you know, you know, you're working at Starbucks. Yeah. So uh, I said, I'm not going to let this happen. So I, I want my own business. And then the opportunity to came came to start 1-800-DENTIST. Uh, and a buddy of mine was a stockbroker. And he said, I got to stop losing people's money for a living. I can't stand it anymore. Let's let's try to do something positive. <laughs> and uh, so we just banded together and did this. Uh, and, and I wrote the radio spots and then eventually the TV spots. And then eventually it was in about half the TV spots. But yeah, but everything I did was about what is the effect of communication? How how do I, and then eventually I wrote two marketing books for the dental industry and I made them really readable because a lot of you, I'm sure you have business books that you love, Mm -hmm. the content of like the message, but you earned every bit of it because the guy was such a crappy writer right? Just like, not like you're like trying to stay awake as you go like, this is good. <laughs> you know, like, so I went, I want it, I want it to feel like they I'm just talking to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and that, and so uh, my first book came out 15 years ago, there are p- still people coming up, talking to me, I just read your book, I make my whole team read your book. And I'm saying, boy, there's some stale stuff in that book. But two thirds of it is like, understanding marketing for your business and so it those things work writing is the core of everything that I do and then I, I wrote Super Bowl my ability to to write so people get something out of it is what's powerful because any the thing is if if you have no feedback loop you you can think you're brilliant but if if your book has to have impact and then you get the feedback that says it is having the effect (laughs) now the next step for me was i need to get on stage i need to i need to start delivering this message live and of course i sucked at that until i but you know until you get better you get coaching you watch videos of yourself painful (laughs) experience to watch your early videos of yourself on stage. And you go like, what am I doing? What is going on up there? Why, what is with all these facial tics and weird movements and incoherent sentences? Uh, and you get better. <laughs> and, and, and and to a point where you become with with all of the training that you can get, and, but, and, but just mostly doing it, you get so you can't wait to get on stage. <laughs> uh, and, and because you know, that you know the medium Uh you know how to you're prepared and can be spontaneous and you're and you're energized not anxious you've converted that energy you've done a little einsteinian shift with anxiety and turned it into energy because you don't want to be so relaxed on stage that you're dull yeah you want to be like juiced you want you want to bring the full you out there and that's boldness too is to say Look, I, I'm going to whatever wackiness or weirdness or, or or you know, passion I want, uh, I feel, I want to bring it to the stage. And a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people are, they dial down who they are when they're in front of people, uh-huh. which uh-huh. is ineffective, right? It's like it's yeah. numbing to people.
1: Well, I definitely appreciate that. I mean, to your point, like when, when I'm writing my books or, you know, I always kind of put a sense of humor or wittiness and I put like a, a sexual aspect to it when I'm on stage, I'll, I'll make sexual terms be relatable to like marketing and branding. So it's very cohesive for the audience to relate to it. So I want to talk about about, about your stage presence, right? I mean, obviously you have like a stand-up background, you kind of did some improv. And so I think one of the smart comments that you made one time was completely hilarious to me when you said it on stage was like someone some something about someone's cleaning their teeth and they were drinking rock star rinse and and then you told well they might as well rinse with coke after they drank that. So again it's kind of like like why are you even doing what you're doing. So I want you to talk about like why did you get into stand up? Why did you get into movies? Why did you get into that area of expertise and how has that helped you become more of a creative writer and do more of what you're doing today.
0: The the best thing that I did to prepare myself for public speaking of every type was and also to refine my writing was improv comedy mm. because and, and it it actually is the foundation for the pride method. It is it is exactly how you learn to do improv comedy. It starts nonverbally because people say, how the hell can you walk on stage with three other people and and create a, an entire scene? with a suggestion from the audience. How does, how could that happen? And it's like, it doesn't happen because you decide to do it. You, you build gra- non-verbally mm-hmm. and very gradually verbally, and you learn the, the techniques that it's not tricks, it's techniques. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's, you know, the big one, which is a, a really a, a life skill is what they call yes. And which is, You 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 never negate what's happening in the scene. So if somebody says, "Here we are, and in sunny Central Park, and we're going to rent a boat," and then you say, "And it suddenly it starts to rain, and and there are no boats available," right? And so what you've done is you've negated everything they said. They said sunny day, you made it rain. Going to rent a boat. They said you said there's no boats, so you say instead you add something positive to it say yes and uh this older couple wants us to row them around in a boat because they're too old all all of a sudden you're off and running because you added now you see when i did that and i did that instantly just now yeah right i i didn't that was unprepared but suddenly you see there's a story here. what's two old people are what's going to happen when you get in the boat with them? and away you go because you yeah. add it. and so so what and the other thing that improv did, the, the list is long, but it trains you to trust your spontaneity. It says, if I just relax enough, my brain is going to come up with something interesting and I, if I just trust it. I'll be prepared because I've done all of these other exercises. I've been on stage and stuff, but I'm, I'm prepared to create. (laughs) And, and, and when you, when you go up and and you learn to do exercises and you learn that spontaneity, when you go up on stage and you fully prepare to speech, it's pretty easy (laughs) because you don't have to make anything up. (laughs) So you've, you've made yourself, super comfortable with prepared material that you can now be spontaneous with. I love being really prepared and I'm going to do 30% different material once I'm on stage. Cause I'm looking, I'm, I'm relaxed enough to look at the audience and see what's triggering. And I'll, I'll tell a story, you know, like I'll tell the elevator story with, with that young girl and I'll find a new insight into it while I'm on stage. Mm-hmm. That that's that just flows for me because I'm I'm totally in flow state. I'm totally focused on delivering my message to these people. I don't care about the war in the Ukraine or who's going to run for office or is uh, did I you know get gas in my car? Is there going to be enough gas on the way home? I don't think about anything. I I'm in that beautiful state where all that matters is me connecting and giving value to this audience, <laughs> and so. That's that's what improv created for me, and I just you know, and I I love stand up. When I first moved to LA, it was the heyday of the comedy store. I mean, Letterman, Leno, uh, Richard Pryor were on stage, and, and and you know, you just sat there in awe. I, I watched Richard Pryor create on stage his his HBO special. Uh, cause he, he just would go up with half his material and then you just work it out on stage. He was a ridiculous comic genius, probably the best ever was. Wow. And, uh, and so I became fascinated with it. I, I, I was taking an acting class to just get better at being in my own commercials and stuff. And I met a guy who was a, a working comic. Uh, and, and he became, he and I became really good friends and he said, I know you want to do stand up." Uh, and, I, and I was doing the improv classes and he said, it stands up to a different thing. You know, it's, a, it's, you're all alone up there and it's, it's you, it's not you playing a character, it's you. And, uh, and so he got me to do it and it was, it was an amazing experience because the feedback loop is instantaneous,
1: uh-huh.
0: but he he also said, separate yourself from the joke. If the joke's not funny, it doesn't mean you're not funny. It means the joke's not funny. It means the story's not funny. It means the story's not funny to this audience. Mm -hmm. A huge insight to take with you. Because you just move on. And and you see the good comics, they'll tell a joke and it bombs. And they'll just say something like, man, that was so funny to me in the bathtub this morning. I don't know what happened. People laugh at that. Because he's not blaming the audience for not laughing at his joke. He's not saying... And so when you can release yourself from that, that nobody wants to watch somebody nervous on stage or no, and nobody wants to be blamed for not laughing. Right. So I've seen guys with B minus comic material slay the audience because they're so comfortable up there. And I've seen guys with fabulous material die an unholy death because they're so nervous. And it's, you know, you sit there and watch and go, wow, that's, that's a great joke. It's just like, I can't watch him deliver it. It's too painful. Uh, um, and so that that growth and they, and the other thing, and I talk about this, I, you know, I, I, I do workshops on super boldness. I, I have a two day workshop and, and actually I, I bring Ruben my comic friend in and he makes people do like mini open mics. He makes them get up and tell a, a funny story. And then he tweaks it and shows them how it can be funnier. But he said, Here's the important thing and this is like a life lesson. He said when you do stand up, if you kill or if you die, either way, it's in the wind. It's over. And you got your next performance to do. And and when you when you can you don't get attached to really killing or or beat yourself up about dying or the set not going as like you wanted to, you just know it's 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 a beautiful art form instant feedback and then it's gone i mean how many comedy shows have you been to where you can only remember 5 of the funny things you heard of the 200 funny things you heard cuz it's yeah. it's coming at you so fast um that's that's what he just said they they they're, they're, they're going to remember you and maybe one funny thing you said or maybe two Many things, or maybe just how funny you were, he was so funny. well, what did he say? Well, he sort of said this thing about a cat and a dog and a like you know, again you can't even put the the bit together because yes. the comic has dialed it in you know to the exact verbiage that that triggers what he or she wants.
1: Huh. Which I mean, just plays into you as a a writer, right? So I want you to kind of time travel back because the listeners of this podcast, they may have you as a child version in their house. I want you to kind of tell the story and depict. Were you like the smart-ass kid? Were you the kid that was a class clown? Were you like a leader? Like, I mean, obviously you're all these things collectively today, but were you that representation as a younger individual?
0: No, I was painfully shy. Uh, I was small. I skipped the second grade and i wasn't that big to begin with and i went into puberty late so i hit high school at 13 years old i'm 4'11 glasses just just like like a miniature fred uh and and uh and didn't hadn't picked up a lot of social skills or anything there were there there wasn't a lot of that grew up in a very small town there were no sports teams or anything like that uh and so what happened is I started to discover my sense of humor with a small group of people that became my very close friends. They are still my friends today. Uh, And, but I started to feel my intelligence and creativity and wit come to life, but I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't know where else to go except to be, you know, with, with this small group of people. So I, I didn't develop those social skills. What, what, what I tell people, they say like, well, how do I help my kid become bolder? And I, and I say, really gradually, hmm. don't, don't, don't push them beyond so far beyond their comfort zone that they're, that they retreat completely away from it. -hmm. Make it easy. Say just teach him to make eye contact with people when you go to a restaurant. Say just look at the waiter. Okay, next time you're going to tell him what you want, and next time you're going to say it in a loud voice, Mm -hmm. right? And 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 you work your way up. And and this could you could have a kid that's that's you know uh, a a good friend of mine. She she just told me this story, which was fascinating. Her parents never repressed her boldness. And, and, and so she was getting into kindergarten, trying to get into kindergarten and that they were interviewing to get into kindergarten. And at the end of the interview, they said, you know, we're not going to be able to uh, accommodate you. We we have, we're, we're full up uh, taking care of our own, uh, you know, our, the people in our church that, that, and their kids, and you're not a member of our church. And she says at five, well, did you know that I'm, I am the, the uh, piano uh, performance champion for my age group of five to six? This yeah. is what she comes up with. She's like decided, how can I add value to yeah. this school at five? And, th- and instead of going, go oh, and they're not going to let me in, she just went, let me, let, me, let me see if I can spin this my way. The woman says, really? Do you want to play piano now? Yeah, so they walk into another room where there's a piano. She plays a little piece for the woman, and they said, "Oh, thank you, that was very nice." Gets a call on, at, at at home that night. We we have room for your daughter,
1: huh.
0: and it's like so. She got massive reinforcement at that age for speaking up, yeah. for for just like saying, you know what, you don't see me like you should. <laughs> here's here's a new here's something else about me. And she's been, she's been bold all her life. Now, Hmm. what happens to to most of us is that we miss the opportunity. So we don't get the reinforcement and we kind of feel, we're like, oh yeah, that wouldn't have gone well. And no, they weren't interested in me. They didn't want me. And so we start, we start to close in and we start to play it safe. She's learned to embrace her discomfort zone And getting more comfortable in it. It gets wider and wider the more you do it. So give your kids the room and you'll have have kids who go both ways. Kids who are just naturally outgoing, don't repress it. Hmm. If their teachers try to repress it, you you call them uh, the teacher aside and say, do not do this to my kid, okay? Uh, And or when the kid comes home, you say, you know, that teacher, it's kind of a shithead, right? So you don't have to listen to her. You can be quiet in a class, but I don't I don't want you just feel like you, you need to only speak when you're spoken to or something like that, or you can't say something funny or something. Be, you're, I'm fine with it. Just know that she may, they may wanna punish you. I'm never gonna punish you for that. I'm gonna encourage you. I, I heard an amazing story from Sarah Blakely, who started Spanx, Spanx. created Spanx. She said at the dinner table, Every every week at the uh, like Friday night dinner, she and her brother would be asked by her dad, "What did you fail at this week?" Huh. Every and every week, and if they didn't have something that they failed at, he was disappointed. Huh. But when they said what they failed at, and he was, "Oh, all right, that's that's interesting that that happened. Huh. Is there anything you can learn from that?" And so she grew up believing in failure as a process, yes. <laughs> not as not as not as something to be ashamed of or embarrassed about or beat yourself up about or retreat from or avoid. It was like, no, this is this is how you get better, mm-hmm. which is true, right? I mean, it's, and 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 that's why you know these boldness exercises is like it, that I have in the book. They're designed, many of them, for failure. You're looking for somebody to either not respond to you or respond weirdly to you so that you say, I was intending for them to not, you know, like uh, one of the exercises is to walk into an ice cream shop and yell at the top of your lungs, I love ice cream. Now, there's no law against that. And but everybody is there will be all sorts of reactions there will be people embarrassed for you and Mm -hmm. it's like why are you embarrassed i'm not you're embarrassed for me but i'm not embarrassed Mm -hmm. and there'll be other people that go yeah i i feel very much the same way about ice cream because they're in an ice cream shop (laughs) so you're just and 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 uh you know i was at a a convention recently and, Mm -hmm. and guys who had read my book one of the guys just turned to me, you know, he's he's working there at his booth and we're out in the exhibit hall with all these people. And he says, I want you to yell, I love ice cream right now. <laughs> and So I did it. And a bunch of people looked around. and He, he was like, Oh yeah. And he, <laughs> and he and he and he said, uh, he says, Now I want you to yell, I love thongs. <laughs> and I said, I'm I'm not doing that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that why we it. Because that's
0: not bold. Right? That's just dumb.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I think, I think that that's, that's, really solid. I mean, like what you're delivering for, for parents to, to influence their kids. So let's talk about like your upbringing with your parents. I mean, obviously you're a hell of a successful business owner and entrepreneur. Are you coming from descendants of entrepreneurism or is that something that you're the first generation to step into that seat?
0: I'm the first generation. My, my parents didn't know anything about business. Uh, my mom, but my mom was a bold person out of necessity. Uh uh, And, but, and she became the first uh, female life insurance salesperson in the state that I grew up in. Um, And uh, she was, she was, Always pushing boundaries because her dad died at six. The family home burned down at 17. And think like she, she, and then she met my dad and was like, this guy's going to save me. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like he's going to, she's going to, he's going to, they were living with neighbors at the time because the house had burned down. And she meets this dashing guy and, and, uh, and they get married and, and they, they encounter a lot of difficulty right away. But he was a mail carrier and she was an insurance salesperson, but she was the bold one. But she was always pushing me too hard. She was shoving me into the discomfort zone and I just kept retreating. You know, it's like, call my friend. She would just, she would think I could just call her friends, like dial, pick up the phone and dial, get so-and-so on the phone. It's like, <laughs> like I was her secretary and I couldn't do it. It's like, I don't want to talk to this woman. I don't know this woman. I can't dial. I'm not doing it. <sighs> it's that she didn't know how to, she didn't know anything else except to just be bold. Cause that's how she had to move through the world. <laughs> um, But but she was trying to she had me on the accelerated track and I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. So I became shy as a result. This is what happens. You either have bold parents that are a great example to you and don't push you too fast, or you you go the other way because you go like I can't do that. I don't know how the hell they're doing it. That's that's too much. I'm overwhelmed. And and that's you don't want to do that to your kids. Everybody. It has a different dosage, a different pace that they're going to build their boldness muscle. But anybody can build it. You want to build it at a pace where there's those rewards. There's the positive feedback loop of just, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. I just smiled at those people and they all smiled back. I said hi to those people and they just said hi. I complimented this person and she said, oh, that's the nicest thing I've ever heard. And you think that's the nicest thing you've ever heard? Uh, good for me, you know? Um, but, but that's when somebody does that, you know, I, I think in the book, I talk about telling this woman who had this bright yellow dress on, uh, you know, a a black woman and, you know, like black women look amazing in bright yellow. Uh, and so I just told her that I said, you know, you, you just look stunning in that dress. I mean, that color is working so well for you. And she said, Oh, thank you so much. You know, because I, I was, I woke up feeling really kind of down today. And I thought if I just put on a bright color, maybe it'll help. Mm-hmm. And, and it just me saying that to her, just bring, telling her that that worked changed her whole day. What a, what a great gift I gave myself by doing that. I didn't need any more from her. I made, I, I lifted her up. From what I didn't know was a Uh low place. She was, she looked like super comfortable bouncing around in a yellow dress, but she wasn't, she was feeling low and I, and I, I boosted her up. What a great thing to get to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's a hell of, I mean, like the way you're talking about boldness as as a definition of something that you can grow into. I think that's just something positive that everyone should actually take hold of. So that kind of leads me to like like books. Obviously, I think on your journey there was probably some key books that kind of help you come to this eureka moments, and then obviously then you wrote books to help people move forward. And anyone that's watching this video right now, you can kind of see his background is completely full. With dozens of books, so if you had to pick a book, like you know, maybe one from behind you or one that you could recall from your journey that that would help you to become who you are, what recommendation for would that book be?
0: Yeah, there's there's so many that have influenced my life, um, but the the one that's probably the most profound is Man's Search for Meaning huh. by Viktor Frankl, who was an Auschwitz survivor. And and two incredibly powerful messages that came out of that book uh, was uh, the first one was that that the gap between stimulus and response is the opportunity for growth and learning and mm. uh, and uh, in and positive result because when when you have a stimulus we have something that happens somebody that says something and you have a reaction and there's no gap especially if it's a negative reaction and you don't pause in between you're not thinking about the outcome that you want anymore you're releasing some negative energy that that has been built in you mm. but if you it's just you know the perfect example is somebody writes you an obnoxious email uh, and you're, it irritates the hell out of you and you write that answer right there and you send. Guess what? Write it and don't send it. Uh-huh. Keep it a day and read it and tell me if you still want to send it because it's the people who pause think about the outcome that they're looking for. Do I, do I want to argue? Because if I do, they seem ready. <laughs> uh, but if if they don't, wh- what do I want to do? I want them to understand. I want them to know that I identify or I, I need to understand why they're upset or, or why they're challenging them, or why they're angry or any of those things. When you start to use that pause, it's really powerful. And I didn't I didn't do it for a long time. Uh, but as soon as I saw that's like this is a methodology yeah. <laughs> to to improve your life. So that was huge. And the other thing that's probably like a much more philosoph- philosophical approach to life is he said, we need to stop looking for the meaning in, of life and start finding a way to live a meaningful life. Yeah. Learn to live, stop trying to find the meaning and create a meaningful life by what you do by the impact that you have and that my life is about how can I have the greatest impact on the most people so that they can be confident they can take action when it matters most because there'll be four or five times in your life maybe where it will be critical for you to step up or to speak up or to, to act you know, I, I, I always use the, the example of giving a eulogy to a friend or a parent and people say, oh, I'm, I'm not a public speaker. I can't, I can't do it in front of people. And I just say, you're never going to get another chance. This is not a public speaking opportunity. This is a, oh, well, I could cry. Oh, that would, wouldn't that be horrible? Wouldn't, wouldn't everybody would laugh at you for doing that? It's, <laughs> it's a eulogy. If you don't cry, they're wondering why, but to to get, and this is your chance to get up in front of all these people who love that person and say how you feel about losing them and the impact that they had on your life and the impact them not being in your life is going to be. And I, you know, and, and I tie it, it's not just boldness to do that. But when you miss that opportunity, it's gonna gnaw at you the rest of your life. And that's what happens is look at those times where you didn't step up or you didn't speak up. Because I didn't get to eulogize my father because the church wouldn't allow it. But then years later, they the church wouldn't allow anybody to speak except the priest or somebody who was reading like an epistle or something from the Bible. So years later, my cousin's mom died. And at the funeral, he get up and read the same rules, right? Catholic church, nobody can speak except the priest and somebody reading uh, something from the Bible. So he reads something from the Bible. He's at the podium. He's reading something from the Bible. And then he proceeds to talk about his mom for the next 10 minutes.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and I mean, every, everybody's heart is so full yeah. because he's telling how much he loved her and how unique she was, what an incredible mom she was. And he, telling making us laugh and making us cry and it's like that was the most important 10 minutes of the whole service Mm -hmm. and he just said i don't care what the rules are yeah this is i am doing this right now and the priest didn't come over and give him the hook the priest sat there and probably went like yeah it's a pretty dumb rule (laughs) you know but i you know so but he did it and i didn't let him But it's I'm I'm fine with it. Most likely, I believe, because most priests uh, come from the heart. Um, And, uh, you know, but they're they're stuck with a crazy rule book. Yeah. Um,
1: I think that that's a that's a good 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 representation of. Are you familiar with the Jewish proverb about the lobster and the reason why the lobster changes and grows is because it's under pressure and it gets irritated and that's the indicator that the, the lobster needs to grow and to change its shell. So it kind of goes back to like the people that essentially I think that is your target audience, people that you're working with. So I want you to kind of define them and okay, I'm I'm gonna re- reference them as what type of lobsters are you looking for to be able to help them break their shells and to grow.
0: Uh, it, it's my real audience is people in transition mm. they they feel like there's more to their life and they feel like they're the reason that it's not happening mm. and it could be that they're they've just finished college and they don't know what they're going to do with themselves they don't feel like college equipped them to really enter the workforce and succeed or they're ready to quit their job. And they say, look, I, I can't work for anybody else anymore. I have to take a shot now before right. I get locked into a house and kids and all of that stuff. This is this is my moment because the window closes. This is the so important to remember is yep. it look back in your life. How many windows closed because you hesitated? Hmm. Hesitation is the kills opportunity and because the window just doesn't stay open till you're ready it, it, it's, it's like, it's quick sometimes it's like, and, and what, what building your boldness muscle does is like, wow, that window open, going in, jumping through head first, not gonna, I'm not going to pause. And, and so anybody who's at that point, and it could be any point in their life. They say like, uh, you know, it's, it's time to leave this marriage. That's a, that's a really difficult decision and it, and it may be the only solution for you or it may be that i need to say to my mate we we i have to speak up and say we need to get in therapy because i love you and i can't figure out how, alone how to make this marriage work do you want to do that you know it takes it takes boldness as a boss to tell your team members what you expect from them and if you say like look this team is not pulling together and then you say I'm the only one. I can only fix me. So what am I going to do differently? Hmm. And the answer is be more bold about what you telling, giving people feedback in the moment, telling them what you expect for the money you give them,
1: Uh what you
0: expect in the environment that they're supposed to be creating. Uh You know, my, what, what, and and so it's anybody who says, I know there's more, I don't want to miss any more opportunities. I, I want to bring my full self to the world and I'm holding myself back, but I don't know how to change that. This is how you change it.
1: Hmm. So let's just continue down that path. That person is listening to this particular episode right now. They're hearing you, they're feeling motivated. What words of insight or words of wisdom do you want them to take away from you in the next 30 seconds?
0: It, it comes down to this. Boldness is a superpower. It will transform your life and you can learn it. Every step you make upward in boldness in expanding your comfort zone w- will change your life. And here's the big secret. You don't have to be confident to take bold action. You can be underconfident and still act boldly. And the bold action will build your confidence. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite of what people think. They think, oh, I I have to be confident. I'm not confident enough to do that. Guess what? I've done a whole bunch of things that I wasn't confident enough to do, but I just did them anyway. And what happened is something great. So act boldly, even if you don't feel confident and it will build your confidence. That's the great secret.
1: Wow, wow. So how do they get in contact with you? Let's say this is the point to where they, they love what you said and they want to reach out to you like on social media, a website, what's the easiest way?
0: I don't like people. I don't want people contacting me. I just, I I like to be alone. No. no. Uh, (laughs) So my website, fredjoyle.com is the easiest way. Uh, You can find out about workshops, uh, book me for keynotes uh, and uh, download the first chapter of the book. Uh, The book is available on Amazon. And it's in Kindle, it's in Audible, it's in hardcover. And it's me reading the book. And if you're reading it in digital form, you can download the exercises because that's the last quarter of the book is all of these boldness exercises that are five levels of building your boldness muscle. And And if you're listening, like you're listening to the Audible, you're like, I need the physical exercises. You can download a PDF and get all the exercises. So that's the way.
1: Very cool. So, I mean, I think that kind of leads us into like some bonus questions and, you know, take a couple minutes to do this. Right. So with one eight hundred dentists, like, again, with your background and we talked about your background a little bit, you know, you were a shy kid. You know, you grew up to be more of a a writer. You partnered with someone that was more into finances. Nothing says anything about oral care at all. So how did that deal (laughs) Ah. get on the table? This
0: is this is. The, the the falls into the why not category. A friend of mine had the phone number, the 800 dentist phone number, and he got it when 800 numbers came out and he wasn't a business person by nature. He wasn't an entrepreneur. He was fairly lazy, uh, but he had this brilliant insight that this seven digit number was worth something. And he said, I think you you're working advertising. I think you could turn this into a business, you know, and he had the the, the a vague notion of how it would work and the structure was wrong and everything. But it was like, there's something here. And so Gary and I said, let's do it. Why not? We don't know dentistry at all. <laughs> we don't know that many dentists. Um, but we 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 have learned how to sell Uh, And I have, he, he was a great salesperson. I was a great copywriter. I'm calling myself, I was an effective copywriter. Uh, And it was just good luck because the formula worked, what it cost us in advertising to get a new patient for a dentist was worth it to the dentist plus our profit. And that's not, so the formula, we didn't know the formula worked for two years. Because basically, you get to the point where you're so committed, you have to figure out how to make it work. Yeah, and we 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 pivoted left and right all all along the way. You you run a business for 25 years, amazingly bad stuff happens, and amazingly good stuff happens. Uh-huh. But you know, when I we created a great place to work, that's what we wanted. We it didn't matter if it was dentistry or not. It just everybody had to win. The dentist had to win. The patients had to win. The employees had to win, and we had to win. And if that and if if the formula wasn't doing that, it didn't matter if it was profitable. Huh. you know, money was tertiary to us. we wanted a great place to work, we wanted everybody to win. but you want to talk about a great place to work. my last month at work, we celebrated three twenty five year employees. Huh. These people had given me their entire adult life working for my business. Wow, it made me so proud of that I'm so grateful because. You get people who support the culture that's that's what they're doing when you create a great culture. the people have to defend it because mm-hmm. you get two hundred and fifty people you can't defend it yourself anymore you You can lead from the top, but they're the ones day by day that are defending it and mm-hmm. and they'll they 'll root out the employees that aren't following that they 'll just wow. say this person's got to go i know she she seems like she knows what she's doing but She's she's pulling in the wrong direction and she's she's, you know, uh, fouling the waters here, so to speak. So um, that's and, and what happened is I met a bunch of really terrific dentists who became good friends of mine. I learned a lot about how to help dentists succeed with all of their marketing and all of their patient experience stuff. And I, I be, aggregated that knowledge and communicated it. And, and developed a, a significant reputation in the industry for myself, not just for 800 dentists.
1: Wow. So I mean, earlier on, you were talking about, obviously, like the rise uh, of 1-800-Dentists and then the dawn of Google and how that model didn't work. So let's talk about like, like the transition. Like, did you have an exit strategy? Was it something that, that once you realized that that was coming down the pipe, like what was your plan of action and, and how did that get resolved?
0: Yeah, so uh, this is an example of sometimes things go as bad as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I knew what the transition was. And, and Gary had retired, and he said, look, if you, you want to buy me out, go raise some money and buy me out. And there was, there was another company, a SaaS product that I wanted, software as a service, for anybody mm-hmm. who doesn't know, that I, I said, and I was trying to build it in in-house because I said this is where the industry it, our industry is gonna go as we shrink. And then I found this little company, these three guys who had created what I was trying to build and did and they had a super coder in the business. Um you know those guys who are 25 times more valuable than the next person. Mm-hmm. And uh and so they wanted because of the culture I created, they wanted to come work for me. And so they they agreed to sell the business to me. So I went out, mm-hmm. raised the money, brought in private equity. Now, private equity said, all right, we want to, you have to stay, but we're going to replace you with, quote, professional management and bring in another CEO. Mm-hmm. And we just picked the worst possible guy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He, in in the course of nine months, destroyed the culture, didn't believe in culture, destroyed it, and I and I, had, I was powerless. I had to stay, but I had no more power. He got in litigation with the SaaS company, lost the litigation completely, but spent half his time fighting the litigation. We lost them. We lost the whole team. And we basically forfeited the match because all that, the, the competing companies said, oh, shit, here comes Fred, it, it, you know, with with this giant footprint in the industry already. He, and and four thousand clients already. He's just going to add this SaaS product to his existing clients. He's going to roll over us. So they stepped up their marketing, their advertising, their development. They all upped their game, and we we spent all our time fighting litigation, and then didn't even know how to work the software because we had lost the super coder that wrote everything. And of course, super coders never annotate their code. <laughs> so. Uh, My, my IT guys are going like, we don't even know how this code works. Mm -hmm. And so from there, everything tumbled downwards. Um, And, and I, I, I was powerless to help it as, as the business shrunk. And the profit shrunk considerably and we, and you know, SaaS products are incredibly profitable. That, that business would have easily been worth a hundred million dollars, but at at a peak moment when I could have sold it. Cause I had a friend who built the similar, he was, he started when we did, he sold his uh, version of this for $440 million to Intuit. Um, So I thought, yeah, that was, that was the way it could have gone, but, You know, and eventually, you know, television advertising didn't work. Phone numbers were less meaningful because everybody was looking to websites. We were buying clicks from Google as they were disintermediating our business. Uh, By their own admission, they said, our job is to basically erase you as a business model, but we're happy to sell you a half a million dollars a month of clicks uh, in the meantime. Um, And so it, it, it just, it stalled and then it, it, it jinked down a couple of times and and then got to the point where it was basically unprofitable wow. uh sold it to, finally to get it out of private equity sold it to another company that i thought well they're going to invest money and lift this up with a n- different strategy we created a very good secondary strategy to to leverage 800 dentists to help sell dental technology actually um they bought it then three months later merged with another company had a total culture clash in that merger totally ignored us for 2 years uh-huh. till we had and it was like where's where is the the plan where's the execution of the plan where's the 3 million dollars you're going to put in for this uh-huh. and none of it happened they eventually they fired the ceo that had done the done the acquisition of me and the merger and we became we were the redheaded stepchild and eventually i uh-huh. bought it back from them for a nominal amount of money mm-hmm. just to get it out of them but it was too late it was it was wreckage and so i i turned it over to a a, a small lead gen company that still runs it now but it's a pale shadow of what it once was but wow. hey it was a great life it was a great business uh i i made a, a ton of money i spent more than i made so you know it's a problem um but uh you know, I I am, am now CEO of another company that that is that is a great product. Oddly enough, started created by the guy who sold that business, that other SaaS product for $440 million. Wow. So he's cre- he, he's licensed me this division for the dental industry of, of this new product that he's created. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm back in the CEO saddle, uh, about to, you know, in essentially startup mode.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. But I'm
0: young. Well, it's mean, still yeah. plenty of time to pull this stuff off. So.
1: Well, I mean, I love that story. Cause I mean, obviously like you're, you're an industry legend at this point. I mean, the fact that you had such a rise to an empire, Particularly based upon copy right particularly based yeah. on what your trade is, so anyone that's listening that may have a trade but don't see the opportunity or see the out you're that opportunity you're that 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 story that most people don't have the opportunity to really hear as as taking on a particular career but merging that career with something that you have nothing to to do with whatsoever so I definitely appreciate that and and that kind of leads me to. If you, as an individual person, right, and this is hypothetical, had an opportunity to spend 24 hours with with anyone, this person could be dead or alive. Who would it be and why? I really got to get Jeopardy music but I actually yeah yeah this is, because this is that's, that's what it says there's,
0: if you said who what, if I could put an advisory board together of six people it yeah. would be easier um but I mean but it boils down to the person I admire most in the business world which is Sir Richard Branson ah uh, um, yes because uh he is uh, he is bold especially mm-hmm. in his marketing with some of the most brilliant marketing moves i've ever seen that anybody's ever executed he's he jumps from industry to industry Uh from the record business to the airline business to to cruise lines hotels uh and 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 now space travel Uh um he's an amazing groomer of leaders Uh because he's the the, there there are 400 companies under the virgin brand uh and and he runs none of them uh Uh, he's a, a, a he's a playful individual he's he believes in giving back virgin unite is one of the biggest charities in the world and he'll and it it supports charities like if he finds A charity that he thinks, wow, that is a great idea. And his kids run it. His son and daughter run the the charitable organization. If they find a charity they think is doing something really good, they say, Virgin Unite will give you the the infrastructure. We'll do all the admin. We'll do it for free. So all the money that you raise goes to what you're doing. Uh And they've done it with uh, 30 or 40 charities. But they're always looking at new charities, but they help these charities to thrive because they know how to administrate that side of it. They know how to, you know, because a lot of people go, I got a great idea to raise money and I got a great cause to to solve it. But the operational stuff, they don't know how to do on the legal side and all of that stuff. So and, uh, you know, he's uh, he's a family man. Uh, He's, you know, he's fell in love with this woman 50 years ago or something. I probably not 50. He's 70 something. I don't know. It could have been 50 years ago wow. and he's been with her and he's, he, you know, nothing interferes with his family life. If, 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 they, if it's the grandkids birthday, it's like, I'm sorry, <laughs> you don't get me today. Uh, you know, uh, and, and he, he believes in trying to, that he got lucky, and it's his responsibility to make the world a better place. Wow! So, um, and I would just play. I've played chess with him. Yeah, I uh, his ass, didn't you? Yeah, the first time I won. Yeah, uh, and he he immediately set the board up, called me a bad name, and immediately set the board up <laughs> to play again. Uh, and then I never beat him again. And he just would yell at me because I was uh, taking too long to move. Um, but you know. I Just to to spend twenty, we we would probably spend most of the time playing chess and laughing and talking about a few things, and and like, you know, and then I would casually say, "You got any way for me to change the world that uh, you don't have enough time to?" Uh, so
1: I think I think that's a phen- phenomenal story because I mean, obviously, you already had spent time with him before, so you, like, out of all the people. Dead or alive, you want to spend another 24 hours with him. So that's a testament to who he is. And obviously, to your point, I mean, playing chess with someone of his caliber, it's like it's a consistent mind game, right? You're playing a mind yeah. game, you're playing chess, but you're also having conversation about life and business at the same time. That's kind of like the best coaching you could ever possibly have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely I love it. I I appreciate that. So I mean with my podcast, I like to close out my podcast with an opportunity for whoever I'm interviewing to become the host of the Boston Cage podcast. And because you already have a podcast, you should be fine with this, right? I am now your guest. You're now the host. You get to interview me. What questions that may have came up during this episode that you would like to ask me?
0: Uh where where do you think you didn't step up in your life that you can fix now.
1: Well, yeah, I think I, I'm on that road now because in my earlier days, as far as an entrepreneur, I burnt myself out. And unfortunately, I had a stroke and then I was kind of like the quiet guy. To, to, that's why I would, like, I would love to have this interview with you about being bold. And I had an opportunity to listen to my um, girlfriend, who is my spouse now, to say it was a time for me to become bold. She's like, I know you're a bold person, but you're so driven and, and and trying to help other people why don't you try to brand yourself and be bold and that's how essay grant came to be that's how Boston cage podcast came to be i mean the reality if that stroke didn't happen if that moment of her genius didn't happen you and i wouldn't be having this conversation right now
0: yeah and the, so the other question is um I, I are you working in your zone of genius or or is there a lot of noise in your life still
1: Nope. I mean, I think post-stroke, I was kind of like slimming things down and and being more of a brand strategist and kind of figuring out. So like once I realized that the entire time, my entire life, everything I've been being groomed for is essentially to be a a podcast host to talk about business and talk to people. Because, again, I could turn on the different characteristics, whether we're talking about insurance or business strategy or marketing or whatever else it is, because I've been through all those opportunities. Now I have a platform that I can kind of deliver and be on task and be intuitive to the questions that I'm asking because of my history.
0: All right. So what's the boldest thing that you could do with your business right now?
1: Um, Right now, one of the boldest things I'm doing is uh, writing my ninth and 10th book. And my ninth book, the name of it is called um, Brand Babies. And the cover is covered in sperm.
0: That's a bold move. That's it's a, a disgusting move. move, but it's a bold move. It's a bold move. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, five. Uh, what would you like to be remembered most? If if somebody were giving your eulogy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what would what would you want them to say?
1: I think. Part of my legacy is what I'm building and developing right now with with the Boston Cage brand. So I want it to be an opportunity to where 100 years down the road, this information can help someone. I would like for maybe 60 years down the road, a Jeff Bezos comes out from our audience from listening to it. And I would love that person to step into it and say, hey, if it wasn't for the Boston Cage brand and the opportunity from learning from people of your caliber and other millionaires and billionaires in the world, that they wouldn't be who they are today.
0: Those are all my questions for now. Great, great. <laughs> well,
1: I definitely appreciate you. I think this was a hell of an episode. I think that you brought value to the table. And, and I think, you know, obviously, we talked about 100 dentists, but I think there's so much more to you than just that particular company. And I think you definitely delivered that today. And I really want anyone that's listening to this episode to really, whatever you're doing right now, there's going to be opportunities to come in front of you. And like what Fred was talking about, when those opportunities present themselves, stop hesitating, become bold and seize them because you may not have that opportunity later on. That's it. Yep. Well, I appreciate it. S.A. Grant over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncage. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an uncaged trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762. 762- 233 Boss. That's 762 233 2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a Boss and Cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off.
0: Listeners of Boss and Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer.